0: Over the last few weeks, months, everything's got amped up. And what I was sharing earlier is a lot of people that I know that don't normally uh, lose it have been losing it. They've been angry and upset about things they can't control. Uh, we can't control things on a national level but we can control what happens in our household to some extent we can control what happens at our place of work or our place of business or when we go to starbucks or when we go wherever and the question we to ask ourselves is are we best representing christ as an ambassador as a kingdom priest what do people see when they see us do they see Uh, um, barricade or they they see a beacon saying hey there's hope here there's hope here why am I different so that's what we looked at last week and remember as we talked about that one of the last things we said was it's in his power the key phrase in 2nd Corinthians 5 was in verse 21 where it says for our sake he became sin who knew no sin that what in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. It's in him. And so the big difference between the disciples prior to what we read about in Acts and what happens in the book of Acts that Luke wrote is the Holy Spirit empowers them. And the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap in a lot of places because there are people that take it to excess, that do crazy things. They bark like dogs. They have holy laughter and all kinds of crazy things that they attribute to the Holy Spirit that aren't from the Holy Spirit. Right. And because of that, we kind of go, This kind of Holy Spirit's kind of a weird thing. We don't really understand it. And, you know, I've had people tell me, you got to, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Because what people do is they look at the book of Acts, they see things happen there, and they take it out, and they try to make what happened there normative for everybody. And that's not the way it was intended. Acts is a historical narrative that's full of theology, but it's, it is a, there were unique things that happened in the book of Acts that aren't repetitive. And you don't see them in the early church. You don't see them throughout church history. So you're telling me... For 2,000 years, you didn't see these things, and now all of a sudden it pours out, the way that people say. So people use it, and a lot of people that have used that stuff take advantage of people, and they end up being false teachers. So Luke wrote this book, and what's interesting is we look at Luke. He's not like me, okay? I mean, I, I'm a messy for you guys who know me and like, you know, Brad uh, and Chuck Baker too, if they look in my truck. It's a mess. There's papers everywhere. I know where everything is, but you could never find anything there because I'm a messy. If you look at my computer screen, there's icons all over my home screen because I'm a messy. Luke was not that way. Luke was meticulous. He was a doctor. He was a physician. And, you know, people say, yeah, he was a physician back then. It still took something to be a physician back then. You still had to go through training. You just didn't go, I'm going to be a doctor and start treating people. He was a physician who was meticulous. And a lot of times we take for granted what he's given us and how God used him to give us the gospel of Luke. Have you ever thought about all the people he had to interview to get the information that he wrote about have you ever thought about why mary shared with him with him about her song and and things that happened at birth but didn't share with some of the other people that were around like john maybe or matthew who followed her son Because Luke was meticulous. Luke thought about these things. He goes, man, we've got to record some of these things so that people can see. Now, people have different views on whether Luke physically saw Jesus and encountered him or not. Uh, You know, uh, there's really most, most conservative scholars believe that he did not see Jesus face to face. There are some that say that he did but he's the only Gentile writer in the whole New Testament. And his purpose in writing is to accurately document God's plan executed by the Holy Spirit through Jesus continued through his people and his followers. His primary message is that Jesus is the Savior of the world and nobody's beyond the embrace of his love. Nobody, not even a person who killed his followers like Saul. That's why that whole story's in there because God wanted people to know nobody's outside of His embrace. And uh, some of you may remember Jimmy. I wish he was here because I would he didn't he I would say it if he was sitting here. He don't care. But last week when I talked about praying for Nancy Pelosi, he said I can't do that. You guys remember when he said that? <laughs> And I said, no, you can't in your flesh. But the problem is we operate more out of our flesh than we do the spirit. And Luke is trying to lay out that when the spirit takes a hold of people, he can do incredible things that you could never do on your own. So I think it's fitting that Luke, uh, being the only Gentile contributor to the New Testament, really chronicles the universal offer of the gospel and how it went from Jerusalem to Rome. I mean, he was well-educated, like I said, and well-traveled. And he had to be because look at all the details he put in. But what's interesting over in chapter 20 is he moves from a biography where he's talking about all these other things that have happened in Acts 20 And he says, we. And for the first time, it becomes autobiographical because he's there. How many of you guys got to see the movie The Apostle Paul when we did that? You remember that? One of the things I really liked about that particular movie is it made me think about the friendship of Paul, the connection between Paul and uh, Luke that I never really thought about. I hadn't really thought about luke pinning those things but luke spent a lot of time and i wonder if because maybe the thorn in the flesh to paul was some physical illness that maybe the leaders got together and said we want a physician to go with you wherever you go and it happened to be luke because he was a believer so um, luke was certainly put there by god sovereignly so that he would be able to (coughs) unfold the story but Even though Luke is not an apostle, big A, and there's a difference between what I call big A apostles and little a apostles. The word apostle comes from apostolos, which means sent one. But big A apostles were in the New Testament. They had a very unique function and very unique place in the history of the church. They are foundational to the church. Why? Because they were transmitting the messages that Jesus transmitted and they had to be authenticated. Why? Because they were were the the transition piece between Jesus, who walked in the flesh and they saw him, they saw his miracles, and then they were carrying that message to people who didn't see Jesus. And so there was an authentication of their message by specific miracles. And so an apostle was uh, dis- you know, described in Acts. They had, these, they had to be eyewitnesses. In fact, when they picked somebody to replace Judas, he had to have been somebody who walked with them before, who saw Jesus, who was in his presence. And so that was a qualification, somebody who saw him. And they, they had this unique ability to be able to do miracles. How many of you... Have ever walked by somebody and your shadows healed them? Or you've given them a handkerchief and it's healed them from a sickness they had? And this is not like psychosomatic illnesses that are healed by these things either. You're talking about people that have been crippled, people that were blind, people raised from the dead. They had very unique gifts that God gave for that time to authenticate their message. And so I find it interesting how Luke contrast, or not contrast, but he, he draws Peter and Paul together. And really when you see the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, what you see is you see it chrono- uh, uh, just basically chronologically presenting how the apostles are distributing the word and, and sh- seeing miracles by them. But then from 13 to 28 you see Paul and you see Paul doing many of the same things. In fact, if you look in chapter uh, 4, that's where Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 9 is where Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter and Paul both preach God's Word with boldness. Peter in chapter 4, Paul in chapter 9. They both preach to Jewish audiences about the risen and cru- the cru- crucified and risen Christ. Is the way of salvation. Peter in chapter 2 where he gave his message there. And then Paul over in 13. They both preached to Gentiles. Peter in chapter 10 when he did that to Cornelius. And Paul in chapter 13. Both received visions. Peter in chapter 10 about Cornelius. Paul over in 16 about Macedonia. They both were in prison and then miraculously set free. Peter in chapter 12. Paul in 16. They both healed a crippled person. uh, Peter in Jerusalem, Paul in Lystra. They both healed the sick, exercised the evil spirits. They both raised the dead. Peter raised Tabitha, Paul raised Eutychus. The thing is, we can always intercede. And I'm not saying God doesn't heal, but there was a very specific office of apostle that was relegated to the twelve and to Paul. Paul and the 12 had this very unique function where they could do miracles. They raised the dead. They did all kinds of things that other people haven't done. And so we have little A apostles. And so Luke is validating Paul's apostleship. Why do you think that was important for him to do when he's writing around 60-something A.D.? Because of Paul's pants. Exactly. I, I think there would have been people so skeptical about Paul. So skeptical because he was killing Christians. In fact, the early leaders were scared; They didn't even want to go see him. And Barnabas goes, no, he's okay. I mean, he's really okay. Barnabas took him over there. But, but I think Luke wanted people to see he's not just okay He's an apostle. Why? Because God was going to use him to write a lot of the New Testament. In fact, we get a lot of Paul's theology. We see in the the letter that uh, that Luke wrote, the Acts letter, he writes about these places that Paul's addressing. And we get things filled in there. Because this is more historical than it is. It's not that it's not theological, but it's a narrative that's progressing of what God is doing through His people. What Jesus is doing through His people. In fact, uh, even in the second verse, I mean the first verse where it says, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He says in the first book. What was the first book? The Gospel of Luke. I want you to think in three volume series here. What's the first volume? The Old Testament. The second volume is the Gospels, and the third is from Acts on. But it's really God's redemptive plan being worked out through His Son. And so, He's validating Paul's apostleship, and I think that's really important. All the apostles, whether listen, it's interesting if you look that the twelve, Matthias, who replaced Judas, and Paul, the same Greek word for chosen, Was used. Really, they weren't chosen by themselves. They didn't just self appoint themselves or by humans, but they were chosen by Jesus. They were sent out by him with a unique purpose and time. The apostles each had to have an objective experience of Christ with their eyes, their ears, and their hands. Did Paul have that? Yeah. Yeah, he did, didn't he, on the road to Damascus? And so, Uh, Both Acts and Luke, the Gospel of Luke was written to who? Theophilus. Theophilus. Theo means God. Philus comes from Philo, which means friend. That's a friendly love, right? And he said it basically means friend of God. And he was a noble official. Most commentators believe in the Antioch area. And how do we know he was noble? Because in the first gospel, or the Gospel of Luke, the first uh, book Luke wrote, what did he say? Most Most excellent. What did Paul say to Festus and Felix? Most excellent. It indicates that he was probably some kind of official. He was noble. So I want you to read with me real quick at the end of Luke. 24, 44 through 53. I'm sorry, where again? In Luke. Luke 24, the last chapter, starting in verse 44. All right, this is, Luke kind of gives a, a little preview, right, of, of what's happening. He, he takes them to after the resurrection. Remember, you had the road to Emmaus, then he finishes up with this last part when he said, Then he said to them, talking about Jesus speaking to the disciples right before he he ascended. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in that city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Here's the thing. The theme of all preaching in the book of Acts is the risen Christ. And what did he tell them in Luke at the end? He just told them, why do you think he's going over there? What happened with the crucifixion and the resurrection again? And you see that in Acts when Peter starts preaching in Acts chapter 2 on through almost every message. The theme of it all is the risen Christ. And I remember growing up in a Baptist church. Every week, you know what I heard? The Gospel. They preached the Gospel every week. They didn't do expository preaching. I think they should have. But but they preached the Gospel every week. And really, if you read all the messages in acts, the theme of them all is the risen Christ. Because that's what He told us. Now, I think we've really gotten away from that in our culture. Now, you can go weeks at churches and not hear anything about the gospel. Other than it mentioned just as in passing. But not even explaining what what He did or what it means for us. The power over sin, the power over death, the hope that that gives us, the overarching theme of that throughout the New Testament. That's what it's about. But the disciples, they heard him loud and clear when he said that. But remember what he said to them. He said, don't go anywhere. Don't start doing it until when? Do your clothes from power on high. Now, is that the first time that they would have seen that? No, because in the Old Testament, it talked about that day. It talked about the day the spirit was poured out. When he said, I'll give you a new heart, you'll have a new spirit. And he talked about that. And even Jesus tried to explain to Nicodemus when he told him about, hey, you've got to be born again. So, you know, the question always comes up, when were the disciples born again? When were they reborn? When were they believers? The grave was empty. Yeah, they were following him, but they had not had the indwelling spirit until when? Pentecost. Until Pentecost. Pentecost, until the spirit came down and filled them. Then they could be new like that didn't mean that they weren't following him. And so the theme of all the preaching is in Acts. Now, here's what's what, you know, if you look in your Bible, it probably says the Acts of the Apostles is the title of the book, right? Right. But what John MacArthur says is, and he's quoting another pastor, he says, it really should be called the acts of the Lord Jesus through His people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of the Father's purposes. But that was too long, so he just said Acts of the Apostles. But did you get what he said? It's the acts of the Lord. And remember what, uh, what Luke writes in the very first verse. He said, when I wrote the first account, it was, a, it was about what Jesus began. He began in the gospel. And it's the continuing work of Jesus in his people is what Luke records in the second account. And so it, it's interesting in verse uh, 47, chapter 2, after Peter's preacher preaching, it says, The Lord added. It doesn't say they came because of Peter. It said the Lord added. Over in Acts chapter 11, it says the hand of the Lord was with them. In Acts 16, it doesn't say Paul opened up Lydia's heart. His words, it says the Lord opened up her heart. In Acts 18, when Paul was in Corinth, he said, I have many in this city. So here's here's what God is doing. He went out through Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, and He called the elect to Himself. Those that were His, whose name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, Jesus went out, and when He left the earth, how many believers do you think there were? Or let's say followers. How many followers? How many people believed He was Messiah and followed Him then? There were, they were all in at least as much as they could without having the Holy Spirit yet. Not many of the disciples, even though they were told by Jesus he he would rise, be put to death and rise on the third day, they didn't have enough belief in it to even go to the tomb. No, they didn't. So there were, I'll tell you, just to save time, there was 120 in and around Jerusalem. 120, and there was about a couple of hundred, maybe a few hundred in Galilee. So let's say let's round up and let's say there's 500 believers. That would be an overestimate, I believe. But let's say there were 500 believers. Think about the world that was in existence at that moment. And Jesus just said at the end of Luke, he entrusted carrying this life-giving most important message in entire civilization's history. To 11 men at that point who had no influence, no power, and no money. I mean, think about that. I think so often we just skip over that. We, we just, you know, yeah, they did it. Yeah, but they were with Jesus. These were men just like you and me who had no influence, no power, no money. And he left that with them. Now, yes, they had about four or 500 people there. Who were on board but do you know how many times people in the past had raised up to try to do something great and were squelched by rome or by greece or by other cultures that was an overwhelming task and and so really the book of acts is really just telling this story the gospels preached to all peoples sinners are saved all people groups are represented The church is growing. True followers continue to multiply. You're going to see that phrase over and over. God is put on display out in the world. And as He's put on display, guess what? Believers suffer like Christ. They're rejected by the world. We see that in this letter. And then the Lord protects them at different times to fulfill His plan, but He doesn't protect them forever. And that's where we miss it sometimes. Does God, will God keep you from getting sick, getting hurt, if you just are all in with him? No, he didn't do that with the disciples. And and we see in this letter what happened. There's times that Peter and Paul are in prison and they're released. And you go, wow, that's awesome. But they both end up being martyred. Paul had his head chopped off and Peter was crucified upside down. Because the Lord protects to fulfill His plan, not your plan. Right. And so Luke seems to lay that out. And he, he does so, I believe, in six sections here. And, and he kind of divides it up. And it's not clean like chapter breaks. Because remember, they didn't have chapters. It was one continuous thing. But he tends to isolate sections of expansion. Remember what God said in, uh, through Luke over in the Gospel? He said, start here. And go outward, and that's what they did. So the church at Jerusalem is what's mentioned at first. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. Now remember, they're not from there, they're from Galilee. But they're in Jerusalem. So he starts there, and he in one all the way to chapter six, verse seven, he's unfolding what's happening. Remember what happened in chapter two? Peter preaches, preaches in chapter four. How many people, by the way, come to Christ in chapter two? three thousand six times what existed prior to Peter preaching and it says at the end of six or at the end of ch- verse seven chapter six the word of God continued to increase then in six eight through nine hundred thirty one he expands it to all Israel including Samaria. Remember chapter eight? They go to Samaria, Philip goes there. Uh, they're, they're there. He's preaching in Samaria. And it says it in the end of uh, chapter 9, verse 31, the church multiplied, which is what the church is supposed to do. 932 all the way through 12, chapter 12, verse 24, we see Gentiles brought in. I mean, they, they come in and Uh, chapter 10, where Peter goes to Cornelius, but then we see the church at Antioch. And by the way, which church do you think is more influential, Jerusalem or Antioch? Antioch. Antioch. Isn't that crazy? It was a Gentile church. It was a Gentile church. It was the no-name church. They didn't have the big apostles there. Where were the apostles? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They did spread. They had to spread after the persecution. But the Antioch church was the non-celebrity church, the Gentile church, that led the missionary effort. They're the ones that sent Paul and Barnabas out. And so we see in verse 24 of chapter 12, it says, The word of God increased and multiplied. Then chapter 12, 25, all the way through 16, verse 5, He goes into Asia Minor and all these cities. The church increased in number daily. Chapter 16 through 19, we see the great Gentile cities, these larger Gentile cities. And it says the word continued to increase and prevail in 1920. And then finally, 1921 through the end of 28, we see Paul ultimately getting to Rome. So, the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Rome by the end of it. And at the end of it all, it says, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God without hindrance in prison. So, the theme that you keep hearing as the section dividers is the word of God increased, the church increased, the word of God multiplied, the church multiplied. It was about God's word going out. And what was God's word? It wasn't just repent. It was repent because Messiah's come. Repent. Trust him. He died. He was resurrected. And now there's power over death and power over sin. And so Acts 1 through 11 really is a kind of a precursor to the rest of it. We start seeing it unfold, like I said, in Acts 1 12. But I want to read 1 through 11 and just give you four ideas here, real quick about what God calls us to do because I think He calls us to do the same thing He called them to do. And that's first of all to teach His message. He called them to teach His message and He calls us to teach His message. Second, He calls us to teach His priorities. Or priority, I should say. Not priorities, plural, but priority one, which is the kingdom of God. Seek first what? The kingdom of God. He started over in Matthew. You see it? But he he he, he tells them. And I'm going to bring that out in just a second. He was there 40 days with them. And all he talked about was the kingdom of God. He didn't talk about Caligula. Didn't talk about Claudius. Didn't talk about Nero. Didn't talk about the things that would come in the government. He talked about the kingdom of God. And then he calls us to trust In his power, just like he said, you need to trust my power. Don't go out. He told him, You stay here till my power comes on you. Don't be trying to go out in your flesh. It ain't going to work out well. And then finally, he says, You need to follow his plan. What was his plan? Where did he say start? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Local. Start local. For us, it's in our family. Start where we are. Then expand to our neighborhood. Expand to our city. Expand to our state. Expand to our country. Then go up. we got people that want to go tell people in Russia about Jesus. They've never even told their neighbor about Jesus. He gave a very specific strategy to them. And, and then he, they, they hear this, and they're watching Him go away, and the angels go, why are you looking up? Why aren't you going to do what He told you to do? Because there was a sense of urgency that he wanted him to have. So, teach his message, teach his priority, trust his power, and follow his plan. So let's read it real quick, and then just make a couple more comments about this before we close. Chapter 1, Acts 1. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Again, you might want to underline that word began, because that's a key understanding of The gospel of Acts is about the beginning work of Christ. And he finishes his work there for sin as it relates to paying the penalty and conquering it. But he doesn't finish his work as far as bringing home the elect. That's he began the work of gathering the elect there. He says he began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them. Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So notice over in verse 1, when he says, Jesus began, he said, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. With Jesus, it was always about not just teaching, but he did and taught. And when it means do, what do you think it's talking about there? What is he doing? He's doing the work of the Father. He's putting God on display and he's teaching about the kingdom. And what he's doing is matching up with what he's saying. That's a real breakdown in our culture. We have a lot of people who are teaching that aren't doing. And that's why young people are leaving the church in droves. Because what they hear doesn't match up with what they do. You never had that problem with Jesus. And he's saying he did and he taught. And and he says until the day when he was taken up. And so powerful preaching always reveals confidence in God's word. And Jesus, every time he spoke in the New Testament, almost every time, if not every time, he was quoting the Old Testament, going back to the text. And Luke wants us to know the exact truth so we have confidence. That's why he painstakingly wrote the Gospel the way he did. That's why he wrote this. I mean, you see all kinds of details, like how many containers are on the ship that Paul's on that he throws off. Think about that for a second. I mean, think about some of the details that we know that he writes about here. He wanted us to know that we could trust what we have and we could speak confidently. And powerful preaching always reveals somebody who has confidence in the word of God. I'm I'm just telling you, most preachers today, or I shouldn't say most, a lot of preachers today. That's not fair. A lot of preachers today will not really talk a lot about the word They don't talk a lot about the Word. They don't explain the Word like Ezra did. When Ezra and the priest did it, you go read in Nehemiah, it said they would help people understand what this was saying. Why? Because they had a communion with God and they understand from their study and their communion with God and the Spirit revealing it and they could share it with people. And remember what I read over in uh, Luke chapter 24? Remember, that's after the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus, they were walking. They didn't recognize him. Why? It said he started with what? Moses and the prophets. And he enlightened them to understand. And it said their hearts burned. Do you know that you have the same ability to be used as the apostles here? to communicate the truth in such a way that God can use you to speak understanding to people. The Holy Spirit can use you to share with people. And they can hear it coming out of your mouth and go, wow, I never understood that before. The Holy Spirit opens their eyes using you as a voice and a mouthpiece. But how many of us in the last, let's just say the last 30 days, have told one person... That Jesus died and was resurrected and is now sitting on the throne in heaven interceding for us and gives us the power over sin and power over death. How many of us have done that? How many of us in the church have done that? That's our mission. That's the message. And we focus on so many other things that are ancillary. That is the primary preaching that you see in Acts. That's what the apostles preached. That's the message. He says, teach his message. But he also said, teach his priority. And and what he means by that is he's talking about God's kingdom. He spent 40 days with them when he came back. And you know what he says? He focused on the kingdom. I find it interesting that he didn't talk about feeding the poor. He didn't talk And that's a good thing to do. He talked about miracles. Those are good to do, but he didn't talk about that. He talked about God's kingdom. And, And God's kingdom is spiritual. He didn't talk about Rome. He talked about the spiritual stuff. And so our priorities cannot be weighed down by political disappointments. And man, I see it happening all around us. People are mopey. People are depressed. People, you would think Jesus wasn't real. And he is. And he's one. And he's given you and I new life. And Paul says these are light and momentary afflictions, these things that we experience. Our focus has to be on the eternal. We got to get his priorities right. Third, he says we've got to trust in his power. Verses 4 through 7, he says. He ordered them not to depart, but to wait for the promise. And remember, he says in Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. John 7, we covered this last week. Anyone who comes to me out of him is going to flow what? Living water. That water is the Holy Spirit. The problem is we try to tell people about Jesus in our flesh. We're like that empty bowl on top trying to give water. An empty bowl can't overflow to other people. We have to be drinking from the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled. There's a difference between being baptized in the Spirit and filled in the Spirit. How do we get filled in the Spirit? Through the Word. You spend time here and spend time praying. I don't understand why I feel so dry. Well, have you been spending time in the Word? Well, no, I haven't. Well, there's your answer. But, Doug, it's not like the apostles, when they went back to the upper room, went up there going, yippee, let's get up there, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on us. They, they weren't any different than us. I'm just asking you, because there's nothing, what can we do other than read the Word? It's when God decides to put the Spirit on us. Am I right or wrong on that? Well, you know where, I, I think I don't think they were in the upper room when, when they, the Spirit came on them because 3,000 people were baptized. Right? right that day. After the Spirit and where, where, where did I just read at the end of Luke? Where, where were they? They were in the house of God, right? Okay. They were in the house of God. Where was the house of God? It was a temple. What did they do in the temple? They were praying and worshiping in the temple. They were praying and worshiping. We expect the Holy Spirit just to pop on us, you know, like we're not spending any time with God. The, we, we get baptized in the Spirit at salvation, but the filling is something that's active as we partner with God and we spend time with Him and we commune with Him. And that's why in Ephesians it says, Don't get drunk with the wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The be filled is it's a passive thing on our part where God's filling us, but He's filling us. Remember what John said? Anyone who's what? Thirsty? Yeah. Ask. Come to Me. That's where we go to get filled. We, it, it doesn't just happen because you go, okay, God, I need You to fill Me with Your Spirit. And we don't read His Word. We don't spend time praying. I, don't want, I just wonder why I feel so dry all the time. Because we're not being filled with the Spirit as we spend time with Him. We've got to trust His power. The power of the Holy Spirit. It's given, you know, it's not something they said, okay, you're right, we're going to go up there and we're going to get filled with the Spirit. He told them, wait, it's going to come. But I promise you, while they were waiting, what do you think they were doing? What? They were praying. praying. They were praying. And what did He say to them at the end of Luke? Remember what He said? He, he went back to the Scriptures. He said all these Scriptures had to be fulfilled. I personally think they were going back and reading. I think they were trying to probably go back and read the text again. Because they're going, man, we have missed this. How many times did they miss it? That ain't going to happen to you. That ain't going to happen to you. And again, he's telling them after he's resurrected, he's still having to teach them about this. So, trust is power. And then follow his plan, 8-11. through 11. He's, His strategy, start local and expand. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. With urgency. Remember what the angel said. Why are you standing here looking up? Go do it. So for you and me, why, why are we not doing what he's called us to do? There's a sense of urgency. And I, I really believe that as we go through this, hopefully you're going to be encouraged, even today. To step back and say, okay, what message am I giving to people? I mean, like when I talk to people about God or Jesus, or if I'm not, why am I not giving them a message? Because these men had no power, no money, no influence. And God says, I'm going to use you. And he said that to each one of you. You are chosen. You are elect who are brought in. And the world, the word, I'm sorry, the word has to keep multiplying. And he's going to use people to do it. Let it be said of you that you're a faithful witness for him. Start where you are and trust him. So, Father, thank you for the reminder again today that it's not about us, it's not about our power, not about what we possess, our talents. It's about you. We're thankful for the word that Luke wrote. Thank you for giving us the gospel of Luke and for giving us the... the, Letter to Acts, Acts of the Apostles that he wrote. And I pray for each man here that he would realize that he is here today for a reason. He heard this message for a reason, and there's things that you want to do in his life to use him as a kingdom priest around Jacksonville, around his home, his neighborhood, to care about the souls of the elect that are out there that have not yet bowed their heart to you. And so give us eyes to see and Lord, let us trust in your power and let us call upon you. Fill us with your spirit that may, we may walk as priests of the Most High God, a light shining in this dark world we live in. We love you and we praise you. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.